Ladies and gentlemen, this is big. This is the first ever episode of the Elliot Loney podcast. And today I was joined by my great mate who also coincidentally happens to be one of the brightest up and coming stars in the world on the tennis scene. His name is Thanasi Kokonakis and he has beaten Roger Federer. He has played Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic and Andy Murray. And he talks candidly about his experiences on the tennis tour and some of his hopes and aspirations uh, post-tennis in this podcast. And um, he is a very worthy recipient of the first guest to this show. Um, as I said, he's a ripping bloke, a great mate, and uh, I hope you enjoy this podcast. Don't forget to click the bell. I don't know where it is, but make sure you click the bell so you can stay notified and uh, get notifications whenever I upload videos. There's going to be more videos on the way. Thank you very much for your continued support, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Cheers. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Elliot Loney podcast. And our first guest is a good mate of mine, ripping bloke. His name is Thanasi Kokonakis, former world number 69, and a man whose banter is crooker than COVID-19. And we're about to find out. If that is true, I've stitched wow. you up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, how are you, man? How are you, how are you shaping up? And um, how's everything going in isolation for you? Um, good to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, Honoured to be your first guest. Uh, going all right, man. Nothing's changed too much for me. It's It's been tough not being able to get out, but I've been pretty isolation the last five years. So um, I'm pretty, pretty much used to it. Yeah, well, mate, I know it's been, uh, it's obviously been pretty tough for you because I know that you've got a plethora of Instagram models chasing you 24-7, just trying to <laughs> find your time. So, obviously, giving me a small portion of that time, I'm very, very appreciative of that. <laughs> You're a joke. <laughs> um, so, yeah, man, everything's good with you so far? Like, just, what, staying at home, out of trouble? Just Staying at home, always out of trouble. Um nothing nothing crazy exciting going on i mean i'm pretty limited as to what you can or i think everyone's pretty limited as to what you can do at the moment training a little bit making sure i'm kind of ready for when when the season starts back up again getting real good at playstation that's probably 90 percent of my time right there playing a bit of nba 2k um yeah. and talking some rubbish with the boys on headset um what else got my license big things so i don't have to use you as an uber driver anymore that's fantastic. Uh, I'm, I'm yeah. glad to hear it. I'm glad to hear it. I gave you a few lessons back in the day in the old RAV4. You uh, did. I don't think you told your mum yet I was using her car. So I don't think she'd be too happy. <laughs> Jules will have a crack at me for that, I reckon. Yeah, mate, you got to watch out for the cobra, mate. She'll take your head off. Uh, so <laughs> I omitted that information on purpose. Um, <laughs> but, uh, let's get stuck into the nitty-gritty stuff of it because um, it's obviously great to have you here and there's a lot of people interested in what you have to say. Um, First and foremost, I want to start with, with the beginning of your, uh, your your tennis journey. So, like, how did you even discover tennis, and um, what was the, what was the defining moment there? Like, you, how old were you? When did you first pick up a racket? Yeah, so I didn't really know much about it when I was younger. You know, you just fortunate to have an older brother, so I just pretty much followed whatever he did. Um, so he started playing basketball, and I just followed him playing basketball, and that was my first true sort of passion, the thing I really liked to do. Um, still love it to this day, but that's what I started sort of in my sporting career. And then, yeah, he was, he was getting tennis lessons as part of, um, he was playing for the summer school sport, tennis, um, and he kept losing. So my dad's like, no, nah, we gotta, we gotta fix this. So <laughs> my dad being super competitive as well, he started getting my brother some lessons. And after a while, I think after basketball, I had a basketball uh, game one day, I just came in to see, to see what his tennis lessons were all about. And while he was having a drinks break, I picked up a racket and started hitting. And, uh, yeah, my hand eye wasn't too bad, and I kind of enjoyed it. 
That's interesting for me to hear because, like, I've been mates here for ages, and I always thought that I always knew that you played a lot of basketball, but I never knew that basketball was the first sport that you picked up before tennis. So uh, yeah. obviously, that must have been a difficult uh, decision for you to make because you were great on both courts, obviously, growing up. So how did you come up with the decision to go? I'm going to play tennis rather than basketball. Like, what was the decision-making process there? Yeah. Well, first of all, I appreciate that, mate. Um, <laughs> second of all. I don't know, like, I liked the change. Like, I liked how I was a pretty selfish player uh, when I was playing basketball. I was a bit of a ball hog. So, the other thing I hated was Sunday morning practices. I didn't understand them, but we had to do them. Um, I played for Sturt, Sturt Basketball Club um, in Adelaide. That's from here. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I hated Sunday practices. And I felt like when we were playing basketball, if I had a real good game, and our team lost, I'd be pissed off. And if I had not a great game, but our team won, I'd still be pissed off because I could have been better. So the only time I was really happy was if I played well and the team won. So that's like a one in three scenario. So it's kind of tough. Um, so yeah, I hated Sunday practices and I only liked basketball if I played well and the team won. So I guess I was a bit of a ball hog, a bit selfish. So I thought play a one-on-one sport where you can control pretty much most of the outcome. So... Here I am. Little did I know that I'd have to do Sunday practices when I picked up the tennis racket as well, but um, I, I figured that on uh, later. And yeah, I chose, I ended up choosing tennis full time pretty much after I won the 12 and under nationals uh, when I was 11. I think I was about to turn 11, so I won, about to turn 12. So I won the nationals before I got 12, the 12 and unders. Um, and then I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I reckon I'm going to start taking it a bit more serious. So you, you touched on uh, earlier about your brother. Paniotto, Paniotto, Kokenakis. Why are you saying in Italian? It's <laughs> First of all, it ends in I. <laughs> Paniotto, who's, uh, who's a great player, who actually um, did a trivia for, for our listeners and our viewers right now, took me out of the tennis court and dusted me up in front of your old man uh, at Kuyong Tennis Club. Um, you, you complained it was the sole of your shoes, huh? You didn't have the right tread. Was that, yeah, was that obviously the I was wearing the wrong shoes. I had the wrong racket. Uh, there were many excuses. Too top heavy. Yeah, too top heavy. Uh, that's one of the can't, I can't move laterally. <laughs> but how much of a factor did that play in your, in your development for your tennis? Because obviously having a brother who plays, who played at a high level himself, and then you being a competitive younger sibling fighting for the attention, you know, that kind of stuff. Did, did that play a factor in like, you know, moving forward because you had someone good to play against, someone to measure up yeah. your level against, you know? Yeah, for sure. He got me into it. Um, and he was getting coached by a guy who's still my coach now, Todd Langman. So, and, and that dude was super enthusiastic, obviously still is. Um, so he, he just had that infectious personality that you just want to keep coming back and keep training and keep getting better. But I think having an older brother or a sibling similar age to you um, is good for any, any sort of aspiring athlete or, or just playing sport. It gives you someone to compete against and someone to push you. So... Yeah, it definitely helped me. He had my number early on, but uh, when I started beating him, I think uh, he decided to uh, hang up the rackets. He didn't well, like that very much. Must be nice, mate, because I'm an only child, so I wouldn't know that clearly. But, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why it didn't work out. But uh, that, that, yeah, exactly. Uh, it had nothing to do with the fact that I was shit. Uh, let's let's <laughs> talk about <laughs> let's talk about Todd Langman. Actually, that's that's really interesting. You bring that up earlier because there's not many players in your position. Um, at the professional level, who, who their junior coaches are still part of their entourage. So what's your relationship like with Todd and, and um, how's that been for you? 
Yeah, yeah. He's like a big brother to me. He's pretty much family as well. Um, you know, seeing him up to three times a day at some points uh, when I was younger. Uh, yeah, coached me since I was seven and a half, eight. Um, and yeah, one of his best mates, Todd Lay, another Todd. Um, I work with them both and I have for, for a long time now. So um, it's good having someone in your corner you trust that much. He's, he's yeah, he's, he's more like family than a coach to me. So more than anything, you can have the best coach in the world, but you want to have someone that you know is, is going to back you 100% and, uh, and be with you through the trenches. So he's that guy for me and yeah, I love him. Yeah, that's 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 uh, it's good to hear. I've, I've met Langers and he's a, he's a hilarious guy and he's uh, he's fun to be around. <laughs> yeah, there's no one else like Langman, so uh, shout out to <laughs> Langman if you are watching this. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a great coach and a good guy. So um, yeah, that's that, that's really interesting, man. Because I was going to say one of the other things was I I've, I've seen a lot of interviews with athletes in high profile positions and they always like not all of them, but a lot of them will like attribute their success to like. Uh, a mentor or someone who's been really pivotal in their in their junior success, and and for you, you yep. would say that is that is someone like Todd, or that is that that is Todd. Hundred percent, he's been a massive part. Sorry, sorry. I was just going to say, or is it someone more like? Obviously, I know that the Trev's been very supportive, and and I know that your family's yep. been very supportive. Trev being your dad, a lot of people have been yep. very supportive of your tennis. So that I, I feel like with you, there's more than just one person who's been very influential and pivotal in your tennis journey. Hundred percent. I think obviously family's a massive part in any anyone that has success or any athlete trying to come up. Um, and yeah, so I'd say it's it's a it's almost a split between my family and, and Todd. I wouldn't have been able to do it uh, without either one. So um, yeah, both of them equally as important to each other. Obviously, dad to to give me the old financial backing when I'm younger definitely helps. Tennis isn't the cheapest sport, so thankfully um, the man invested a little bit, and hopefully I've started to. Repay the favour a little bit lately, but um, yeah. Well, he's so, got so never those ended Mikey here now in Trev. Huh? huh? Never ended the Mikey here. Yeah. <laughs> Strut, strutting around in a full piece tracksuit. Yeah. Um, he has a bit of confidence walking around his office. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so, so you said earlier the the twelve hundred nationals was like a big defining moment in your junior career. Um, when was was that was that the time that you noticed? Oh, actually, I've got a pretty ominous bore and I can slap a few winners around the court here. Like, when did that into the dome? When did you realise actually I've got what it takes to to play at a professional level? Because for people who are watching this who don't understand tennis, I I personally believe it is probably, if not honestly, one of the hardest sports to make it in. So for for a young yeah. kid to decide or realise that he's good enough to not only make it but crack the top hundred like you had, was there some sort of moment where you were like whoa I've, I've got what it takes you don't really know like i think when whenever you're trying to be serious about a sport when you're younger you say all these things like i want to be number one i want to be top 100 i want to represent australia but a lot of those things are just words and you don't really believe it until you take like all the steps um needed to kind of get there so as you're going along you just tick off a lot of checkpoints and it, obviously everyone develops um at different times but uh you obviously develop a lot of checkpoints and you get through a lot of checkpoints on the way, uh, whether it's like get through a nationals and then make an Australian team and make a 16 and under team. So, I mean, I started my first overseas trip when I was 12 and under. So I knew I was around the mark, um, especially in Australia. So I knew I was one of the best in Australia. So from one of the best in Australia, I'm hopefully not too far off being like decent on the world stage. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of good players coming from where every country so I think when I started to realize that I was probably going to be pretty decent was sort of around 14 I got my first ATP point 
um, which is pretty young. That's one of the youngest people ever in terms of the men's side. That would you'd be right up there in terms of one of the youngest ever to attain a point. I think so. I think I'm definitely in the top ten, but probably even less. But I gotta mm. I gotta go check. Um, I just remember it was a crazy story because I had a wild card the week before, and I was up four uh, two in the third set tiebreaker in Ipswich, and there was a three hour rain delay. And I came off the court thinking, yes, I've got this in the bag. Like, this is, this is mine. And my opponent, who's like a full-grown man, was, I'm not going to name names, but was, was, walks past me while I'm in a bus. And he was, like, crying. Because he was about to lose to a 14-year-old. Oh, and I was, like, half laughing. I was like, look at this guy, grown man, crying because he's about to lose to me. Fast track three hours. My coach and I set up a plan of what I'm going to do the first point. I executed. I just missed by about a centimetre on a clay court. And he circles the mark. It was wide. I end up losing 8-6 in the third set tiebreak. Rolls a reverse. He sees me. He's in the car. He sees me walk past, head down, bawling my eyes out. I thought, no, that was it. I've lost my chance. I was like, that's my chance. Gone to get a point. Um, I don't know when it's going to happen again. Then I get a get a call from the AS head coach saying he's given me a wild card into next week. And then... Yeah, I've got, I've got my first ATP point then. Better light there. That's good. That's a pleasure, mate. Ladies, look at look at the head on him. His number is 0412. Oh, sorry. sorry I was... <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so one of the, before we move on uh, to the mid-stage of your career, where you're at now, uh, I wanted to talk about uh, one of your rivals growing up, obviously Nick Kyrgios, um, another player yep. uh, who's um, had a lot of time in the top 100. Um, you guys were rivals growing up, played a lot of tennis with each other. Um, pretty similar standards. So, like, how was that um, having a, a rival like that and, and both breaking through pretty much at the same time? What was that like? Yeah, it was obviously it was obviously really handy. I think for both of us, we both got a little bit of a Greek background. Um, we both have very similar interests. Uh, we love basketball. We love video games. Um, and just talking a bit of rubbish and, and having a good time. So it was definitely beneficial for both of us, I think. Um, it gives us a familiar face when we're traveling and on tour. And uh, yeah, I think for many years we pushed each other, um, which was good helping us, helping us break through. So let's, let's, uh, let's move on into the, to the current stages of your career. And you've had, for a young bloke, you know, you've had some unbelievable highlights so far. And I've, I've got a few of them right here. Let's talk about some of these defining moments. I mean, getting a 69 in the world, uh, reaching a career high 69 in the world, representing Australia in Davis Cup, reaching the third round of the French Open, um, and obviously beating a guy who you may or may not heard of, Mr. Roger Federer in Miami. So you've had some amazing, yeah. redefining moments. Um, is there one that I haven't mentioned there that, that stands out for you? Um, probably, yeah, I mean, playing Davis Cup. Did you say representing Australia? You probably did. Yeah, yeah. You can do that if you'd like. It doesn't have it's to be. It's memory. I'm pumping up my entire, it's unbelievable. Um, <laughs> uh, um, what's another good one? Ooh. Oh, yeah. Being in the Olympics, Rio Olympics, that was pretty sick. Yeah, that's, a, that's, a um, so that's probably up there. Yeah, just representing Australia, playing a lot of Grand Slams. Um, yeah, just just stuff you, you you think about doing when you're younger. That's something I hadn't even thought about, to be honest. Like, it must be. What's the difference for a player in your situation representing your country as opposed to playing in a Grand Slam event? Is there is there a different feeling when you walk out on court? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean. You're not just playing for yourself either, really, when you're playing a Grand Slam because, you know, you've got your whole team that supports you and everything like that. But 
um, when you're playing Davis Cup, you definitely are playing for a few guys because a lot of the result depends on you. If you don't help the team out or, or you lose, that can be detrimental to the team's success. So you never want to be that guy. Um, unfortunately, it's part of the game and it happens sometimes. But um, yeah, you definitely feel like there's a little bit more on your shoulders and, and everyone's kind of watching you pretty closely when you're, when you're playing for Australia. Yeah, and who is the, the toughest opponent you've ever faced and, and why? So I've played all of the big three. Because you have played Rafa Nadal, you've played Federer and beaten Federer. You've played no. Well, no, I've played the big four. I've played the big four, really. i played yeah. Djokovic, I've played Murray, I've played Nadal, and I've played Federer. So Federer was the last number one I've played. The, the first one I played was my first ever Grand Slam in the second round. I was 17, built like an absolute stick. And, uh, yeah, played Rafa second round at Aussie Open um, indoors on the most scorching day. I think it was like 46 degrees. So that's why they had to close the roof. Um, so that was tough. But the biggest – and the Djokovic match I played against him at French Open, it was 4-4-4. Four, four, and four, So it wasn't uh, – he was number one, looking unbeatable. So it wasn't wasn't too bad of an effort. But he was quite young as well. Him. How old were you? Yeah, he was number one. They thought he was going to win it, but he lost to uh, lost to Stan in the final that year. And how uh, old were you when you, played, when you played Novak? You would have been super young when you played him in the French Open. Oh, I was nineteen. I was nineteen. Yeah. Amazing achievement, though. It's, it's good stuff. Yeah, two thousand fifteen. So, but the one who absolutely chopped me up was Murray. Davis ah. Cup semi final. In Glasgow, I've never played in a more just like intense atmosphere, so loud, indoors, under a roof. It was just like I've never been a part of anything like that. When they call out all the players, all the team from Great Britain, he kind of waited last. Um, well, he was getting called last anyway, but he gave himself like a massive delay. So then he kind of came out by himself. And uh, <laughs> you should have heard. You should have heard the... Uh, the crowd going nuts. Like, I had chills and I was about to play him. I'm like, oh, oh this, is, this ain't going to go too well. I remember I was, like, hanging with him at the start, but, like, he was playing unbelievable and I was having to play, like, my best tennis just to keep up, like, within striking distance. And then, yeah, eventually he pulled away. So, he gave me a good uh, a good whooping, good whooping there. I think it was 3-love and 3. So, that one I'll, I'll never forget. It's, uh, it, it's good to hear you bring up, Mars, because I think... Um... From all accounts, from people like yourself, from other other guys that I've spoken to on the tour, um, they all say that Murray's a really great guy off the court. Um, and really yeah. I actually haven't personally met him. But um, who is the best bloke on tour? Is there a person or people that you reckon are misrepresented by the media who people might have the wrong idea about that you've personally met that you go, you know what, they're actually a ripping bloke or they're a really nice, nice person? It's hard to say if they're misrepresented. I mean, you usually see sort of everyone's emotions in the heat of the battle on the tennis court. Um, but then again, there's, there's different sides to it, like behind in the locker room. Like I remember, I'd say the two guys, the two top guys that are well-known that are really, I mean, Rafa's always been nice as well to me. They've all been nice, but I'd say the ones that have went out of their way, made a real sort of effort uh, to be welcoming and, and super nice is uh, Federer and uh, Murray, both of those two. Um, yeah. Yeah. Ripping blokes, absolute legends. Um, the one with Federer is, you know, you know, you always think he's going to be a good guy and you always think he's, because he's just like that on TV and, and you just assume he'll be like that in real life, but he is. But the one that surprised me was uh, Murray. I remember watching on TV, I was like, I cannot stand watching this dude. Like, I've never seen someone, like, complain and moan and, like, limp as much as this guy all the time. Like, it's never his fault. He's always just, like, going ham at his box. 
but then like off the court he actually like really cares he's, he's such a nice guy always um sending me messages always keeping in touch and uh no he's just been a really good bloke so so he caught me by surprise when i first got out on tour no that is that is great to hear because you know i i take the piss out of the players a lot uh yeah. my, my gig with the comedy stuff but um you know it's always light-hearted and uh and i've always always thought that if i ever got the opportunity to meet murray I'd love to shake his hand and say, look, mate, no hard feelings. I know you're a cracking bloke, but, um, you know, yeah. sometimes I'll just have to, uh, you know, just uh, <laughs> do a bit of grief. So, uh, um, no, he's a good man. One of, one of the things uh, you, you mentioned earlier about Roger Federer being a great bloke as well, and um, obviously you having a, a great win over Federer in Miami, um, clearly a career-defining moment, but you actually got invited personally for a training block in Dubai with Roger. Um, that's an experience that not many players get to have. So what kind of insight did you get watching the great men train and what kind of uh, things did you learn from, from watching the best in the business? Yeah, 100%. It was, uh, it was pretty awesome to get that opportunity. Um, yeah, he asked me to train in off-season of 2014 uh, in Dubai with him. Um, so that year is where I played my first Grand Slam and I started, I think I got to about 150 in the world. 18 then as yeah. well? Yeah, yeah, 17. I, I turned 18 that year. So I was half, yeah, half the year, 17, then 18 that year. Um, that was the year before I sort of made made my breakthrough. But yeah, it was, it was just awesome seeing how he trains. He's such a chill guy. I mean, obviously he didn't show me everything he does, like fitness-wise and everything like that. But he's just real fun to be on court with, always working at his craft, like, he does stuff differently to other players um, in the way he trains and how he takes the ball early. And just, I've never seen someone take time away so well and move onto the ball so quickly when he doesn't look like he's putting much effort into it, but it comes down the other end like you got a lot of pressure. So, yeah, he's, he's invited me a couple of times, but, but that was the first time. And, uh, yeah, Dubai's a pretty cool city. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was a pretty cool experience having a hit with him. Was there any light, light bulb moments when you were watching him do some certain drills or things that you'd never observed before? Or was there stuff that when you just play with him, it was all sort of the same stuff? Or was there something that he did where you were like, well, I've never seen any other player do that before? It's just like, I've never seen someone put less effort into a ball and it come off like that clean and that well. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that stood out to me was he came in, we were just having a hit. I mean, I think it must've been the first day we hit. And he came in to take some volleys and, you know, you know, if you hit a couple hard ones, you know, they might miss one. Like, because no one's really too focused at net. Sometimes they miss a couple of volleys, but it's like, whatever, next ball. I reckon I peppered him for about 15 minutes straight and he did not miss time a volley or hit one no. remotely close to being out. Like, it was unbelievable. I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, surely he's going to miss one soon. He just, like, didn't look like he was trying. Yeah. And just makes every volley, like, within sort of 10 centimetres of the baseline every time. I was like, this is, this is nuts. So that one stood out to me. And just how quickly he moves. Like, you look at him on TV and you don't think, oh, physically, you know, he thinks, yeah, he's in decent shape, but you don't really notice. But this may sound a bit weird, but up in person, if you see the calves on this bloke, it is ridiculous. <laughs> but I was like, I was on the other side of the court. I was like, dude. And it just explains, like, how, how he moves so well. Like, and then how he's so, like, explosive. Like, you don't pick him being explosive, but, yeah, he, he's so quick. Especially what he's doing at his age. It's nuts. He does have stunning vascularity in his cars. In fact, I was compelled at the Australian Open this year when I bumped into him in the cafe. I didn't say anything, but I was compelled to ask him if he was paying land tax on those calves because uh, they were enormous. He he's got a carpet on him as well. If he actually gave those a trim, it would be, I think it would be groundbreaking. Yeah. People don't know. Absolutely. You don't notice on TV. Absolutely. Um, 
one of the things I'm interested to hear from you being a tour professional and someone who's been on the tour for a while, what are some of the pros and cons um, of being a professional at, at, at your level of, level of play? And, and one of the things I think is, is interesting for me to look at is you've sacrificed so much to get to where you well, are. And a lot of your mates have had the opportunity while studying to party and let their hair down a lot. And you probably haven't had as many opportunities as a lot of your friends. Has that been difficult for you growing up? Yeah, I've, I've found a way at times to do it. Yeah, that's why I started to laugh. I don't know. I, I know we've had a couple, so when you said it that seriously, you know, it made me crack up. Um, yeah, look, look, man, I'm just I'm trying to be earnest out here. Um, <laughs> look, you're young. No, right, right, right. Well, I was, I was fortunate enough to not it's, – it's pretty tough to finish school the whole way while actually being at school uh, while you're trying to make it as a, as a tennis player. Um, and I kind of broke through early, so I knew that I had to – when I was at school, it was just too hard to, to stay there um, while trying to do assignments and then come back and, and pick up where we were left off. So I think halfway through year 10 or halfway through year 11, uh, I ended up doing distance um, education. So – I ended up finishing year 12 and finishing school and all that. But it was, yeah, I definitely missed out on a couple of things. Like I didn't do schoolies. Um, so I was, was kind of kind of curious as what that would have been like uh, with a couple of my mates. But, you know, it, that sort of stuff with, with school, you kind of miss those relationships. And as much as everyone says they hate school, I actually kind of looking back enjoyed it. Um, so many social moments just with um, all your mates, just having fun, going through different lessons, different experience, excursions, all that. Um, which, which you kind of look back on and you kind of miss. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really change, change what I did, you know, seeing the world and uh, having the ability to earn money a lot earlier than a lot of my mates, um, not having to go to uni yet at least um, to make a living um, as well as part of it. So it was just a good, um, just a lot of experience, you know, just people see me on TV. I know that's, that's pretty cool as well, uh, especially when you first start out on there. You, you you go into the best countries and the best cities in the world playing and competing. Um, so, yeah, you're able to earn money and go to unbelievable spots and, and have good memories there as well. So that's that's a, that's a pretty sick aspect of it. Um, the downsides are not all the time where you go into these cities, you're allowed to actually explore it as if someone would on a holiday. Um, a lot of times it's to the hotel room, to the court and back, uh, unless you lose early. In which case, maybe you have a day to explore or you're off to the next tournament um, and trying to get a better result because it means you haven't really done well that week. So um, the, where it starts getting uh, pretty tough on the road is if you're having a, a few, few weeks where your results aren't going as well as you'd like, then the pressure starts to build. You start to question yourself um, and, and that's where it gets tough on the road. But um, that's why you need to have a good team around you um, that keeps you level-headed and keeps you focused and... Uh, yeah, that, uh, I think that's how you have success. But, yeah, there are a lot of perks and a lot of negatives. So much travel, being away from family, um, jet lag every week, playing in different conditions all the time. Obviously, it takes its toll on the body. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's probably a different life to what people think back on. Yeah, absolutely. And it is good that you have that support network with, with Todd Langman. And um, one of the things I think is, is really difficult with tennis is, and you probably miss it from basketball, is having that team camaraderie, you know, when one of the advantages of playing a team sport is like when you take a loss, at least you've got your team to, to talk yeah. to and console you. But when, with tennis, very often, as you said, it's just you go back to the hotel room and you have to deal with it. 
mentally. Yeah, um, I think but, yeah, I think the lows are very low. Um, I don't know as much of the highs with a team. It's good to celebrate with people, but also when you feel like you've won individually, you're like, yeah, I've done this. You know, this is a, most of this is on me. Um, but then when you lose, you're like, shit, like that was that was me. Like I, I screwed up there, or yeah, it's it's just it's just hard. And then a lot of the times you're in a hotel room by yourself with teams. Sometimes you got a mate rumor with you. So you've got a lot of downtime, a lot of time to think and sometimes overthink, which isn't always a good thing. Um, but, yeah, you, you want to have, like, a bit of bit of both aspects to it, which I think is, is the best for sport. Well, you've done better than most, mate, because I've, I've been losing since I came out of the womb with this lid, mate. It's been very tough uh, from the get-go. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> but, um, Decent well, upper body, though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, a bit of, bit of uh, vascularity in the old shoulders. Um, Thank you for the <laughs> doing wonders. The jacket helps. Um, <laughs> obviously, with you, this is a taboo thing, and I don't want to. I don't want to ham on it too much. But you've been extremely unlucky with injuries throughout your career, um, yep. more more so than most, and it's been very difficult for you. But for the for for the first time in a while, you're a hundred percent. You're ready to go. You're feeling good on the practice court. I know you've told me that um, off off air yep. here. Um, so what's it like being ready to go? You know that you're you're at a level where you can make an impact on the tour, and then something like COVID nineteen comes along and forces you to to stop to stop playing. Like, what what's that like? That must be devastating. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. I mean, I had to have a bit of time off at the start of the year anyway because of glandular fever. So, I guess there's a silver lining if if I'm having time off tour, so is everyone else for once. So, it's uh, I guess that's maybe one positive to see. Um, I can't play and either can anyone else. But, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a tough time. You know, as, as a tennis player, you're not contracted sort of as a yearly salary. Uh, you kind of – your main income is prize money. Obviously, you've got sponsors as well. But um, you don't have, like, a, a pay a certain amount of sum for the year. So a lot of your money is up to you actually playing, competing and winning matches. And when you're not able to do that, uh, when your body's actually feeling all right, that's it, – it's, it's a tough part. But I guess – all I can do is stay stay positive mentally, um, stay sane. Um, I don't think I'll see anything like this. I don't think anyone will in their lifetime again, which is pretty nuts. So you just got to think everyone's in the same boat. And uh, I just got to make sure that when season does resume, um, I'll be ready to go. Tennis, tennis is going to be a tricky sport um, with how international it is. So we'll probably end up having some events sort of within the country um, and hopefully build from there and, and then see what see what the goal is. But... I think everyone in Australia is just hoping that next year there's a Australian Open that's able to actually compete and, and go on next year. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm one of them. And uh, I hope the tour can get back as uh, as quickly as possible because uh, my, my career hangs in the balance, mate. I mean, I impersonate so many players. I need that. I need that. <laughs> I need to go back in I need my boy support me there in the box as well. I need that. Yeah, exactly, man. I need to be there. I need to be there on the sidelines. <laughs> um, and I look forward to seeing you back out there. Um, so before we, we wrap up, I want to talk about some of your goals moving forward. Yep. I know this is, this is down the track and I'm hoping that COVID-19 doesn't force us both into retirement, but, um, <laughs> what are some of your aspirations after tennis? Have you thought about what you might want to do after tennis? Is stand up comedy on the cards? Can you do a few gags? I'd be able to do a tandem with you. I, I think I'd, struggle. <laughs> I'd be able to feed off you a little bit. I'd struggle coming up with my own material, I reckon. I'm more of a situational sort of joke man like I, I can't just come up with a line uh and be like bang laugh at that but i think if 
Yeah, if I find something funny, I can kind of play on it a little bit. I don't know. I think something something in the media sort of role would be good. Um, I've always felt pretty comfortable there. Um, obviously, short term, I'm trying to get the most out of my career. I don't know how long I'm going to have it for. I feel like I've missed a lot of years where I haven't been able to, to do as well as I'd like or just be on the court as much as I'd like more than anything. So that first and foremost, and then I'll see where that takes me. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think hopefully somewhere in media, hopefully be smart with my investments so I can make a bit of money that way if I'm not making some on court or lose. See what happens. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think sort of something in the, in the media or analytics, not analytics, sort of analyst, I'd say. Um, whether it's – I'd love to be an NBA analyst, but I think that gig could be, could be tough for me to get considering I'm a tennis player. Um, but yeah, something along those lines, I feel like I'd enjoy. Bit of uh, might be uh, going for Jim Courier's role, bit of the nasty Kokonakis courtside. I can't, I can't do it as clean as him. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I can, I can make some comments on the side. I wouldn't mind it. No, I think that'd be a great role for you. So um, I can definitely see that a future for you in that moving forward. Um, and the last, the last thing I want to talk to you about, and this is something that I just really want to get off my chest here. Um, here we go. The Kokonakis. Right, a 14-year-old Thanasi Kokonakis facing in his prime, fully grown Elliot Loney, pizzy cut form, on a hot, muggy day in altitude on a hard court. <laughs> Who's going to come out on top? You might, uh, you might get me early in the first set, and then I think your lack of cardio fitness will uh, die. <laughs> the, the lack of legwork you're putting into yourself would... Uh, <laughs> Would die in the ass come the third set, and the, the lack of tough would probably uh, definitely cramp. I'd say deep into the third. So I reckon you're starting out on strong. I'd say probably you got a six one six two first set. Second set, I'll probably get you tight because you've still got a little bit left in you. Maybe a six four seven five, and then uh, you might be you might have one final push in the third. But uh, yeah, you die in the ass with those pins. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. We heard it from the horse's mouth. A fully formed Elliot Loney pacing off against a 14-year-old Kokonakis and I'd get the rough end of this. That's tough. The guy's got no faith in my game. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that is fair enough. Uh, Thanasi, thanks for joining us, mate. Uh, it's been an honour to have you as the first guest of the Elliot Loney podcast. And um, obviously, uh, it'll be great looking back and having you as the, the first guest ever on the show. So thanks for joining <laughs> us. And, um, I'm hoping... Uh, Wishing you all the very best for success moving forward in your, in your tennis and uh, obviously in your career as well. So thanks for joining us. Pleasure, my man. It's been an honour. I'll see you soon. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning into this live exclusive brought to you by Budweiser and ESP. Actually, I just wanted to say thank you. I don't even know what I was doing. I think I've lost my mind. Um, my eyes are redder than the devil's appendage. I've been up for a very long time, but I just wanted to say thank you very much for watching the video. We've gone up 2,000 subscribers since I uh, got back into YouTube a month ago. We've got some big guests on the way, um, some people that I'm really looking forward to sharing their stories with you. So make sure you do click that bell. I don't know where it is again, but make sure you click the bell and subscribe to my channel to make sure you stay up to date and you are notified whenever I upload a video. You can follow the cock at the underscore cock one and of course you can find me at instagram at elliot underscore loney and of course uh if you haven't subscribed to my youtube channel make sure you do so right now thank you so much for watching this is the first episode of the elliot loney podcast we'll see you soon